Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Industry 4.0 in the Intelligent Enterprise, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. You'll hear from the experts who know how to digitize and renew business models for better results in manufacturing businesses. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run, drive, work, or get back to whatever you need to with the Game Changers, this is where the best run. Good morning and welcome. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from AircraftInteriorsInternational.com. Yes, that's a long URL. Listen up. The benefits of Industry 4.0 for aerospace and defense, known as the A&D industry, A&D manufacturers, are enormous, but involve critical decisions on digital investments and an increasingly cyber-aware ecosystem. So let that sink in for a second. What are we talking about today? The digital transformation required to enable Industry 4.0 across the A&D industry requires businesses to change from how we design assets all the way to how we, and I'm using the big corporate global we, to uh, how we operate them in the real world. Manufacturing facilities are capturing enormous amounts of data unparalleled in history. But the question is always on the table, and we talk about this on many of my Game Changers radio shows. Is it the right data? Is it the the clean data, the timely data? How well are we taking advantage of it? How can you, manufacturers, leverage the data to automate production to improve productivity, profitability? How can you enable predictive and intelligent data-driven processes? These are all very important. However, now we're in the COVID-19 era. I think we can safely say it's an era. It has brought many businesses to a standstill. And for some... This era, this this pandemic around the world is helping manufacturers reprioritize their focus because they want to serve the community, their community, the world community for the greater good. Before COVID-19, Industry 4.0 was in the center of many manufacturing companies. Now, Industry 4.0 is playing a huge role in helping these companies find the agility and the resiliency to ramp up manufacturing in the current era and in the post-COVID-19. We have a panel of three experts today from different companies. They all come to this with a different and very savvy perspective on what are we going to do with the new paradigm that's needed to design, manufacture, and operate intelligent assets in the A&D aerospace and defense industry in the hopefully soon post-COVID-19 world. I'm going to introduce you in a moment to my very special guest, Sean Moore at Capgemini, Brian Fields at Newport News Shipbuilding, and Torsten Welty at SAP. Sean and Brian, I believe, are new to the show. Torsten has been on before. <clears throat> Excuse me while I clear my throat. Here we go. So the topic today is Industry 4.0 in the A&D industry post-COVID-19. Welcome to our listeners around the world and a special shout Shout out to Richard Howells at SAP and the many people on his team who helped put this show together. So let's get started. Sean Moore, Cap Gemini, welcome and please introduce yourself, Sean. Thank you, thank you, Bonnie. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's uh, it's a little early here out west, but uh, but I'm on my second cup of coffee, so I, I suppose I'm doing uh, I'm doing well. I um I lead the aerospace and defense business unit in North America for Cap Gemini, and I've spent the last Oh, 18 plus years getting to see how companies work. And I've learned quite a bit in that time about how different companies attack different challenges. It's been challenging, but it's also been very satisfying. And one of the larger obstacles that our industry faces is an existential one. 
It's how to balance often competing initiatives, vision, and execution. When the tsunami hit uh, Fukushima, Japan, for example, <clears throat> excuse me, the ripple effects were felt worldwide in automobile production. Most auto paint was made in Japan, and the rest of the world who depended on that paint for the manufacture of their own cars did not have robust enough supply chains nor flexible enough supply networks to manage that. From a systems perspective, I think this is mirrored in the need to have a broad enterprise view, especially mm-hmm. in architecture, yet a similarly critical need to keep decisions close to the process, which is best tackled by keeping business and technology aligned. It's easy to say on a radio show uh, and harder to execute on in reality. However, it's, it's what we strive for. It's the well-discussed challenge of determining where the intersection of strategy and execution lie. In the world of COVID, it's even more important as companies are forced to be more flexible than ever before. You're seeing General Motors and Raytheon and distilleries like Portuguese Bend and Long Beach retool in a matter of days or hours from manufacturing their existing products to ventilators or masks or hand sanitizers. To your point, Bonnie, it's, it's, it's more philanthropic. It's something to give back to the local or, or greater community. Well, this level of flexibility has not been attainable in previous examples of unforeseen disruption. In 1940, in World War II, William Knudsen was the president of General Motors at the time. He told uh, President Roosevelt that retooling the auto factories was a key to winning the war. We need to outbuild Hitler, was the, the quote. Knudsen then went to Chrysler and asked, hey, could you guys build tanks? Well, Chrysler had never done that before, so they had to break ground and build from scratch what would now be known as the Detroit Arsenal Tank Plant. They had to build a new plant because they could not retool what they had today, assembly line and everything. So today's disruption with COVID from an industrial perspective is an artificial catalyst that is forcing us to retool and rethink how we balance broad views of our business without the luxury of building from scratch. Thank you very much, Sean. Very interesting overview and, and glad to have you on. Two of the key words I heard and what you said. We just wanted your bio, but I'm very glad to have, have your platform on this. <laughs> <laughs> never, never had a guest do that for their bio, but I appreciate it because you hit a lot of points and I didn't know that about the, the paint in uh, Fukushima, Japan. When Yes, so thank you very much for that. Two of the key words I heard here were robust and flexible, and we're going to talk about that as we get into the formal part of the discussion of the show. Thank you, Brian fields at Newport News Shipbuilding. Brian, in case there's somebody around the world who doesn't know who you are and what you do, why don't you give us your bio, your background, and a little bit about your passion for the topic, please. Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, so, yeah, I'm uh, Brian Fields. I'm Chief Transformation and Chief Information Officer at Newport News Shipbuilding. We're a wholly owned division of Huntington Ingalls Industries. Um, I've been at the company for 30 plus years now. Um, I've held a, a variety of, of positions from nuclear test engineer, uh, design engineer, um, program director, building aircraft carriers, running supply chain, running planning, production control, and for the last six to eight months I've been chief information officer and chief transformation officer. I think the thing that, that really fuels me and gets me energized to go into work every day is finding better ways to support the 26,000 men and women that we have at our facility that are building aircraft carriers, submarines, overhauling aircraft carriers, um, also supporting our, our supply chain. We've got 3,500 suppliers in 48 states. So shipbuilding is a, 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 a nationwide effort. It's not isolated to Newport News, Virginia. Um, 
but finding better ways to provide information, to remove complexities in, in business um, have, have really been kind of the core of, of what I enjoy doing in every job I've, I've had. Um, we definitely are, are in a, at the beginning stages of our digital transformation. We're a 133-year-old company. Um, I view our business in the nuclear um, aircraft carrier and nuclear submarine business as we're on our third industrial revolution. We moved from riveting to welding. We moved from from uh, gas-powered or, or fuel-powered uh, vessels to nuclear-powered vessels. And now we're in the digital transformation where we're able to have better insights and provide our workers with, with better information so that they're safer and more productive at what they do every day. So as Chief Transformation Officer, I view my job as, as looking at anything as an opportunity in business to, to allow our people to be better at what they do every day. Thank you very much. I, I hear the passion and the commitment in your voice, Brian, and we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. A pleasure to have you on and nice to meet you. And let's go around the table to uh, not a stranger to Game Changers Radio, Torsten Welty. It's been a while. How are you? And Torsten, as I like to say, in case there's one person around the world who doesn't remember who you are and what you do, why don't you refresh us? Go ahead, Torsten. Yeah. yeah hi, Bonnie. Hi, listeners. Uh, this is Torsten Welty. I uh, have the great pleasure to work for SAP and lead the airspace defense as well as the travel transportation industry. Uh, quick, um, what we do or what I do, I, I work uh, and have the pleasure with a great team at SAP to connect to all the airspace defense companies that our customers that we support uh, as well as our travel transportation uh, side of the house. But since we're on the airspace defense side, going to focus on that. Um, it's, it's wonderful to uh, work pre-COVID uh, with these companies because if, if you look at the industry, uh, they're the source of all the innovations, the, the things that send you in, into space, right? Uh, the things that make your iPhone work with satellites, uh, the things that keep us safe, the things that uh, bring us from A to B to inspire us every day. And before COVID hit, uh, we had almost 20,000 aircraft in the air that brought people from point A to point B that really inspired people, showed them new cultures, showed them new pieces of the world and made the world a smaller place and a more commonplace. Um, now and before, uh, the, the community is very tight, working very closely together and a great collaboration. So the, the uncertainty that we're going into with everything that's coming and about to come in the world that may that there will be completely different. Um, I see uh, great collaboration, and it's fantastic that we have customers such as Newport News, uh, where we have a great collaboration from the past, but also others in, in the industry. So the, the key of of today and industry for for all, what I see and summarize uh, that excites me to go to work every day or dial into every call and every customer meeting these days is that uh, companies really trying to figure things out under this immense pressure of the uncertainty, uh, how to fix problems, how to solve problems, how to keep companies alive, how to collaborate, right, to be agile, as as Sean said, and, and how to bring things forward. And, and I see great, uh, you know, tools within the industry for all uh, where there's a lot of tools in it, approaches in it that can help the industry post-COVID with a new world. 
Thank you very much. Appreciate the intros from all three of my esteemed panelists. Now it's the part of the show where I have asked my panelists in advance to send me an interesting, provocative, possibly future-focused quote from a book, a movie, a song, possibly a famous or not-so-famous person. And we have three very interesting quotes. One is a real surprise. Sean Moore at Capgemini sent us a quote from John Wayne. Sean, I think this is the first time we've had a John Wayne quote on the show. Let me just read a little background. Sean, it's possible just a, a just a, a little scintilla of possibility that there might be somebody around the world listening who doesn't know who John Wayne was. So I'm going to read a little bit of his bio. His original name was Marion, M-A-R-I-O-N, Robert Morrison. He changed it to Marion Michael Morrison, and he was known professionally as John Wayne, and even shorter, he was known as Duke. He was an American actor, director, producer, and he received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He was among the top, most popular box office draws for 30 years, famous for his roles in Western films. Uh, he didn't become famous until 1939 in John Ford's Stagecoach movie, which made him a mainstream star. And John Wayne, a.k.a. Duke, starred in 142 motion pictures. They say he personified for millions the nation's frontier heritage. And here we are decades later and we have new frontiers. So here's the quote Sean has selected. Tomorrow is the most important thing in life. Comes into us at midnight very clean. It's perfect when it arrives and it puts itself in our hands. It hopes we've learned something from yesterday. Sean, I want to cry. This is a beautiful quote. Where did you find this? And just very briefly tell us how this relates to our topic today. Sean Moore, go ahead. Yeah, I've, I've been a fan of, uh, of John Wayne, I think, for a while. He's, he's always personified that uh, the strong guy on the side of, of correct and the side of right and the side of justice. And I... I think that's very apropos in uh, in the uh, the panel that we have here today and the uh, and the time that uh, that we're faced with. The quote, quite frankly, is is relatively innocuous. It, it, to me, it simply means it doesn't matter how yesterday went, good or or bad. If you won, if you lost, uh, there's always tomorrow, and tomorrow is waiting for us. Not caring what we did yesterday, not caring what we did today, knowing that we have to learn from those. Uh, either wins or losses those events and carry on for for the the next uh, the next day. I think that's uh, that's an important piece to remember. I, I guess in general, but uh, but I would argue, especially given these times, there there is always tomorrow. And uh, and the better we prepare for it, the better we learn from what we do today and yesterday, uh, the better that tomorrow will be. And I, I hope that uh, that I can play some small part in that, both for myself and for those in my uh, in my sphere of influence and circle. Thank you very much. Love the quote. I just found a picture of John Wayne with his trademark cowboy hat and his bandana and his vest. Oh, he was something else. I do remember, oh, probably from the womb, I remember. My mother's womb, I remember seeing John Wayne movies. I'm not confessing to anything here. So thank you very much. I love the quote. Brian Fields, moving along, you found a quote from Thomas Edison, and this is a really cool quote. Thomas Alva Edison, Edison, 1847-1931, American inventor and businessman described as America's greatest inventor. He 
invented the phonograph. To those of you too young to know what that was, it was a record player. You put vinyl on it, and a little needle found the grooves and played whatever the speaking or the singing or the orchestras or whatever. He invented the motion picture camera. He invented the practical, long-lasting electric light bulb. And he established the first industrial research laboratory in 1876 in Menlo Park, New Jersey. He held, get this, if you, well, those of you who think you haven't accomplished anything in life yet, but you don't know where you're going, well, okay, Thomas Alva Edison held 1,093 U.S. patents in his own name and patents in other countries. So here's the quote Brian has selected. I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Brian, love the quote. How does it relate to our topic, please? Well, I think as we're trying to find better ways to apply technologies, um, Thomas Edison just personifies the, the approach. Um, when you look at the things that he is really given credit for, a lot of those things were, were, were built on other people's ideas. But Edison had a great way of, of piecing other people's ideas together to create something that has better value. And I think you know, the, there's really nothing new out there um, other than innovative ways to take information, data, material, equipment, and do something better. So Edison, I think, is as a um, transformation officer at my company, is kind of the guiding light for that. We've had a principle over the last several years as we've begun our digital transformation that failure is not something to be frowned on. You have to manage the risk of failure, so you don't want a failure that's going to be devastating to your business or to your people. But failure is a resource if you manage it appropriately. So looking for um, ways that you can try something, learn something, fail fast, and modify from the whatever you learn from that failure and apply that to your approach forward is, is our approach to our digital transformation. Fail fast um, and, and learn from it. Um, this, this quote really has a lot of meaning to me. When I was a, a young nuclear test engineer, um, my boss one day told me, if, if you're not messing up, you're not trying hard enough. And I think that's at the heart of this, this quote, is that to, to really succeed at something, you, you're going to have failures. Um, people don't remember the failures as long as they're, they're managed appropriately. They remember the large successes. And, and when you look at Thomas Edison's successes, he's got some massive ones that have really set the foundation for, for modern technology today. So I think his approach to you know, try things, um, piece things together, look at, look at things from a different perspective and create something that has better value it's kind of the guiding principle at what we're trying to do in our, our digital transformation at Newport News. Thank you very much. Very interesting. And, and I was going to say, if you didn't say it, Brian, fail fast, fail often. We've heard that. This is a, a very well-known quote. If you don't fail, you're not trying hard enough. If you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. If you're not messing up, you're not trying hard enough. And I appreciate your bringing that in. There's even one on YouTube that says, if you're not cheating, you're not trying hard enough. But let's leave that one alone. Thank you, Brian, for the insights. Appreciate <laughs> the quote. I'm sorry. I just, listen, I Google a lot during the sure. show and I 
I read what I find. So forgive me on that. That should be an interesting video. Maybe one of those things to amuse during the, the during the isolation time. We'll just leave that one alone. Torsten Welty has found a quote from Albert Einstein. Torsten, I don't think I had time to check and see if this was really Einstein. So we're just going to say it was from him. Anybody doesn't know, for goodness sake, I had a, a, a live show yesterday and a guest also quoted Einstein. And I said, Einstein, well, of course, 1879, 1955, German-born theoretical physicist, developed the theory of relativity, one of the two pillars of modern physics, alongside quantum mechanics, but we all know that. Uh, he's best known for his M E equals MC squared, dubbed the world's most famous equation. That's the mass-energy equivalence formula. He received the 1921 Nobel Prize prize in physics, but he was well known for standing in front of a blackboard with his wild and crazy hair and very famous picture that's everywhere. And this this panelist who used a, um, an Einstein quote yesterday, Taurus, and said, yes, I most admire him for his hair. And I wasn't expecting that at all. It just came out of I don't know where. So I won't ask you what you admire Einstein for. But here's the quote Torsten has selected. In the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. Aha. Torsten, talk to me. How'd you find this one? Good quote. Yeah, I've, I've been a fan of Einstein for a long time, not just because I'm also German-born, uh, grew up. Um, he actually had a lab close by here uh, where he did some nuclear work prior Second World War. Uh, so as, as a kid, I, I had some exposure to some of that. So uh, that was always in my life. And then uh, when I started as a 16-year-old, 15-year-old actually skydiving, um, I got uh, introduced to... Uh, relativity and physics really fast in, in in person so that inspired me to really mm-hmm. look a little bit more into what albert einstein did uh and maybe as a teenager push a little bit envelope what physics can do and cannot do um and uh therefore i always stayed in 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 touch with einstein and einstein is also one of the uh, great, great inspirers and um, researchers that led to a lot of things that uh, we use today in the aerospace and defense world. And and the reason why I picked this this quote, um, he he also inspires from a scientific perspective, but he he also has a great kindness and great uh, way of dealing with people. Um, and as we all know, he went through very, very difficult times during Second World War. Um, and therefore, I, I think that is also a very big crisis as we are sitting in a crisis. And, and I think now uh, more than ever, uh, you know, we need to look similar to what Sean said from John Wayne's comment. We need to look ahead. We need to look at the positive things. And like Brian said, we need to look at uh, the learnings from the failures we do at the positive things, right? There's so much uh, uh, what you can't do or what limits you today, but within limitations, there's also great opportunity to innovate. Um, and you see that in, in a lot of uh, examples around the world. That's why I picked this kind of uh, quote for today. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate the thought that went into all of your quotes. Thank you so much. Now, we're not going to take a break. The energy here is too good and so much good information coming from my three panelists. We're just going to dive headlong into the roundtable portion of the show. So, Sean Moore, I'm going to start with statement number one you sent me, and let's keep this to about two minutes. I'm going to, I'm going to read the statement, ask you to expand it, and then I'm going to invite Brian Fields and Torsten Welty to chime in and comment to see what whether they agree or disagree and what they can add. So Sean Moore, a Capgemini, sent me the following. Now let's start with number one. He says, Industry 4.0 can, will, and does play a material role in companies being able to retool in the event of a market disruptor like COVID-19. And you have some examples here that I won't read. So Sean, why don't you take about two minutes and give us more meat on the bones for this one, and then we'll see what your co-panelists have to say. Go ahead, Sean. Thank you, Bonnie. Although I, I feel like I've jumped the gun on a little bit on this, I, uh, I gave most of the uh, the meat on the bone as the appetizer, not as the uh, as the entree with my <laughs> That's okay. uh, with my intro. But um, I, I'll I'll retread some of that. Um, I, I think that that you're faced with external market drivers that uh, typically are unforeseen. And the examples that I used, <clears throat> excuse me, previously were uh, the tsunami that hit Fukushima and the ripple effect that happened mm-hmm. with the automobile paint. We know that Japan manufactures automobiles, but they also manufacture most of the world's paint. Well, if you don't have a flexible enough network uh, to go in and, <clears throat> and replace that supply somewhere else, then there is a, an, a, an end result to the customer that, um, uh, that is not advantageous, and that's what we saw there. Same thing with, uh, with, with World War II and, and the having for Chrysler to build a brand-new plant in order to build uh, tanks. They were not able to, to retool what they had today. So I think that what we're faced with, <clears throat> excuse me, with, um, with COVID is another unforeseen disruptor that requires us to, um, to change how we manufacture, what we manufacture, and how we, we view both our supply networks and supply chain in order to enable that to happen. The challenge that we have here is uh, nobody wants to change uh, too much, right? Everybody wants to have incremental change because that feels comfortable. And it requires almost a disruptor like this, like a tsunami, like World War II, some catastrophic event that forces people um, to, to move. So I think that the disruption here is uh, short-term, very um, challenging and very, very difficult and very personal for many people. Uh, but I think in the long run will be a, a catalyst for something that is positive. Uh, and I choose to, to keep my eye on the, the positivity of that. I think that... Um, I think that we will exit this as a stronger industrial machine than we did uh, previously, particularly in the world of, uh, of Brian Fields and, uh, and Newport News Shipbuilding, as well as Torsten and, uh, and Aerospace and Defense. Thank you, Sean. We appreciate the optimism, the positivity, as you put it. That's important. Brian Fields, you have been summoned by Sean Moore. Please comment. Please add some comments on the fact that Industry 4.0 can, will, and does all positive statements, a material role in companies being able to retool in the event of a disruptor. Let me just add one comment here. We've been talking on Game Changers Radio. I've been doing this for nine, ten years now. We've been talking about disruptive technologies. We've been talking about disruptive companies where the 
the industry lines are blurring and companies edge in or nudge into an industry where they didn't formally belong before. And now all of that seems almost immaterial. The word disruption doesn't even hold a candle in that context. This is my POV here to what we're talking about now, where there was this unforeseen OMG disruptor called COVID-19, this global pandemic that has seized everyone, everything in some way suddenly. And now disruption just takes on a, a bigger global role. So I'm done with my platform pontificating here. Brian Fields, please comment on what Sean Moore said. Go ahead. Yeah, I agree with Sean. I'm, I'm going to take a little bit different perspective and some very practical things that I, I see are going to to be different going forward for our business. Um, I believe that the biggest part of, of any kind of, of change, innovation, um, moving in a different direction is not necessarily the challenge is necessarily in the technologies. It's not necessarily um, finding the right solutions. It's changing the people. It's changing the culture. And I think the one thing that's going to come out of this is um, people are going to realize that change is possible. And what I see as we've moved roughly 7,000 people in our facility off-site and support them working from home without really losing a whole lot of productivity is that people are becoming aware that technology can help us communicate differently. We can do things differently without, in, in really short periods of time and solve problems that we've had um, in very innovative ways. One of the, the biggest problems at, at our facility, we have 26,000 employees. So imagine people showing up in the morning trying to find a parking space and walk into work. Mm-hmm. We're a 133-year-old company. 133 years ago, people started complaining about parking at our facility, um, and, it's, and it's, it's a challenge. But what we're finding now is that with all the people working from home and still being productive, we can, we can ease a lot of our parking solutions. So something as simple and innocuous as, as we can provide different approaches for communicating, um, enabled through cloud technology, making sure that our data is still secure with our cybersecurity systems, people can work from home and free up physical space, whether it's parking, office space, and now people in our leadership team can see that that's possible, and we did it in a month. So changing Mm. the culture and changing the art of the possible, um, having this external forcing function with this crisis can be viewed as a positive as we look at at getting people to think differently and adopting new technologies to, to solve solutions. Um, that, that momentum change, I think, from, from the things that we're dealing with right now will carry forward as, as we continue our digital journey at Newport News. Thank you very much. Culture change is so important. appreciate that. Good news from you, Brian. Torsten Welty, join us, please. Thoughts on what Sean started with and or what Brian Field shared? Go ahead, Torsten. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, all good points taken. Um, I'm not going to uh, re-emphasize what they said, but some of the things that I've seen or heard um, and got shared in discussions with other uh, uh, companies or executives in the industry is that it's um, really critical at this time to check in with the people, to look at the processes, to find opportunities to change uh, to change processes, but also then look at technology, how that can actually enable uh, the new way, the new world. So technology is a great enabler, um, 
but it also needs to be adopted by the people. And crises typically allow faster adoption and break down barriers and, and faster decision making. So that the, the essence of Industry 4 is also about working with uncertainty, breaking down barriers, and um, be able to make faster decisions. So all of these things all come really nicely together. Um, and I think the as, as Brian said, the acceptance on a sea level or management level uh, on new technologies is probably going to be much higher uh, because what I also see in here is decisions that in the past were made out of experience, mm-hmm. right, uh, was supported by some of the technology, right? So the, the human aspect led very much in decision-making traditionally. Um, now what we see, we have a situation where a, there, there's no precedence in at least in our age group uh, that we went through. We went through maybe the financial crisis or some other crises, but not to that extreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also don't have necessarily all the data points. So anything that technology can provide to support the decision and help find the right fast decision, uh, because we have to make fast decisions, that, that's uh, in the essence of, of Industry 4.0 and the essence of post-COVID. Thank you very much. Good around the table. Sean, anything quickly you want to add to what Brian and Torsten said, or shall I move on? What do you think? Uh, I, think it's, I think it's interesting because you see Torsten uh, come from a technology slant, and you see Brian come from a change the people, change the culture uh, perspective. And I think it's interesting because they, they're saying uh, effectively the same thing in two different ways. And I, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I think that they are... Uh, they are very much intertwined, and that intersection of uh, how you keep the people engaged, you give them the, the tools in order to make their decisions faster and more data-driven rather than the human, uh, the human component of it, while still retaining that culture of fail fast, of be aggressive, uh, of be bold, I think is really exactly what we're talking about, right? At the end, my message is balance, and my message is intersection of uh, strategy and execution, of people in technology, that that point, wherever that lies, and that's the challenge, is to determine where that is, that is where I think you're going to see Industry 4.0 start to have a major impact, both from uh, the technology enablement mechanisms, as well as the people who learn, use, adopt, and ultimately accept what those technology changes are. Unfortunately, I think we need sometimes uh, a catalyst to force that acceptance and that, and that, that people side of things. And I think that's what we're faced with here. So it's funny to hear, I think, three different perspectives that are, are dancing around, I think, at the same center point, but coming at it from a different vector. Thank you very much. Good observation there. That's why we like provocative statements for the roundtable, Sean, and you certainly started one. I'm going to move on to uh, statement number two from you, Brian Fields, and let me read a little bit of it. This is interesting. The topic of age and workforce came up in another show I did earlier this week, so let me read this. You say the A&D... Aerospace and defense industry is in the middle of a demographic and technology shift. The older workforce is retiring, and that may have some nuances in COVID-19 right now. And this means you need to hire thousands of new employees every year to backfill for them. This new digitally savvy workforce want and expect to work in a digital environment. I'm going to stop there. Brian, why don't you take it up and expand it for us, please? Sure. Um what I've seen in our digital journey so far is a, 
um, our workforce having different levels of experiences um, across our, our demographic uh, profile. We, we, like most of our, our manufacturing industry partners in, in the United States, have a camel hump of, of, uh, in our demographic curve of, the, of a very experienced workforce, um, not a lot of experience in the middle, and a, a lot of, of people at the left side, younger, younger workers um, that are, have grown up as digital natives. Um, they work that way every day in their personal lives. Um, and what we have looked at is, is that demographic curve shifts to the right and our older workforce um, starts, to, starts to retire. Um, and we replace them with uh, the more technical, savvy um, employees. We want them to walk into our facility and be comfortable in the way that they're given and consuming information. So up until our, our, our recent uh, digital transformation started about three, four years ago, um, all of our products were built with paper drawings. And some of our drawings can be five, six, seven hundred sheets. Very, very mm. difficult, a lot of technical content. Um, and it's hard, for, it's hard for people to learn how to read those. In fact, we found that it, it took longer for someone to be competent in, in figuring out what, how to read a drawing than they were learning their craft as a steel worker or a pipe fitter or electrician or a sheet metal worker. So um, a big part of our digital transformation is, is trying to make the information in a familiar, consumable way. Um, if you have a garage door opener at home doesn't doesn't work, you don't go grab the manual that came with it. You go to YouTube and find a video that shows you how to fix it. So our approach to information delivery is trying to give information to our, our workforce in, in that way on, on mobile devices. And we've seen that the younger workforce take to it fast and they're productive a lot sooner. But the really interesting thing is our older workforce, who are not as digitally savvy, um, are being reverse mentored by the younger workforce on, hey, how do I use this device? How do I do this? And at the same time, are learning the craft from the older workforce. So it's been an interesting dynamic, but really focusing on um, not the younger workforce not being a liability, but being a digital asset is, is a, a part of our focus. Thank you. Very interesting perspective. We talked about age, as I mentioned, on another show this week, and I had somebody uh, say that nobody over 35 or 39 would even be hired in companies that are having a digital transformation, uh, that everybody needed to be in the 25 to 30 range, age range, because those were going to be the people who were savvy and, and agile in a digital way with new technology and that nobody would want anybody else. It was a provocative statement to say the least. And I'm not going to not going to comment politically on that because I'm a boomer. I'm a boomer, and I help other people with their technology needs. And yes, we do rely on YouTube. Heck, yes, we do. Tourist and wealthy, chime in here before I get myself in trouble with Brian or or with the, with the listeners. Go ahead, Tourist. And what do you think? Uh, I. I I agree with Brian. I think the the world that I grew up with is I, I grew up through a system where you have an apprenticeship. And when I first uh, came to Newport News and had the opportunity to see the school that they built uh, and the apprenticeship program that they have with uh, ship shipmasters, right there, twenty five years to to get to that level. Brian, is that correct? It's forty years. Forty years. Forty years for mastership. Forty years. Forty. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I have utmost respect for the, the structure that I've built because I've, I grew up in a similar similar environment. And what I've learned over the years is the the, the symbiosis between uh, the younger workforce and the older workforce, independent of technology. Um, it, when, when, of course, like Brian described, when the younger workforce can bring something to the table um, and show some of the ideas and the new things, and uh, more senior. Uh, workforce can bring their experience to it. Those are typically moments where ideas build on top of ideas, uh, and that's the critical piece, right? And it's always important to use, uh, because I'm coming from a technology way, uh, to use the technology the, the most effective way in this area and, and give for those that look for information the right sources so they can be strong, they feel good, what they can achieve, uh, but also to the, those that uh, have the experience that they can share it um, even shared through technology, right? Uh, sometimes uh, some companies even have uh, built-in features that you can call an, a master or an expert, right, uh, who may not uh, be savvy enough to use YouTube or other things, but they can call back, right, and, uh, you know, help you through video chats and other things in that area. So technology is super good because it helps also the younger generation to be on their own feet faster, and feel much more accomplished, and also builds the, the the foundation for creating new ideas. So it 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 can be really good, but I also seen it as uh, something where people push back on it uh, very hard. Uh, but those are less and less the case because we all used to iPhones these days and use it at at home, and so people get more and more used to it. And I would say it's not age related, but it's how you how you train your brain, how open you are, how agile yes. you are. Yes. Right? Um, that, that's the most critical piece to it. Yes, 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 yes. Why do you think I started playing drums a year and a half ago, Torsten? I said to my first drum teacher, it's for brain training. Uh-huh, eye-hand coordination, brain coordination, <laughs> taking my love of music, putting it into using those sticks and, and playing with bands already and open mic nights. Brain training, that's the important thing. Keep it going. Keep those synapses snapping in the right direction. Sean Moore, I know you have something to say about this age and workforce topic. Please join us. Sean? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing uh, internally because I, I think uh, – I think I just heard Torsten say that you can teach an old dog new tricks. So uh, maybe maybe he's disproving what uh, uh, what, what we always thought was true. I, I find it interesting. I think I'm going to stick with my theme of of intersection here because I I don't think that just having a trade skill or just being digital is enough any longer. It's that that join of uh, of young and old. There's a lot to learn from each other. Brian said something that. I did not know, and I uh, I find really interesting, and that is that the younger workforce is being a, a digital asset, teaching the the older workforce. And I've got a background in data and analytics, and and in that world, it doesn't matter whether we, as a consulting company at Capgem, and I come in and build a better mousetrap. Here's a really cool way to get data, really shiny reports, and we think it's the greatest thing in the world, right? At the end of the day, if the workforce and the user community of our client doesn't accept and use those uh, those better mouse traps, whatever that engineering is, it's not a successful program. So coming into to shipbuilding, if you have all these digital uh, initiatives and you come with just technology but nobody understands it, uses it, adopts it, accepts it, then it's still not a successful program. So I think one of the testaments that you hear from, from Brian that's so important is 
hey, we're helping people that have a high degree of trade skills, a high degree of experience within the industry, and a lower degree of, of digital acumen be balanced by the younger team that, that is the exact opposite of that same coin. And together, they're coming together to make ships faster, make ships better, um, and leverage technology in order to do that. So again, I go back to my theme of, of intersection. That's business and IT. That's enterprise architecture view versus execution. That's um, uh, robust supply chains and flexible supply networks. It's that intersection that I think is most important when we start to talk about leveraging 4.0, leveraging digital, uh, while retaining some of the, um, uh, the skills that made us great to begin with. Thank you very much. Good around the table. I, we just have a few minutes before our predictions, crystal ball round. I'm going to go to Torsten's statement. So, Brian, forgive me. I'm just going to jump here because I want to get this in before we end the show. Torsten says, manufacturing companies that can collaborate effectively with their supply and partner base will be the leaders going forward. Data will be at the core of the collaboration and decision-making. To make faster decisions, different tools and approaches are needed. Industry 4.0 drove part of the A&D industry to digitalize design processes, and now manufacturing and supply chain will follow. Torsten, you want to give us a couple minutes on this one? Want to get this in before we close? Yeah, thank you. Um, You know, the, the, the piece that a lot of the... Uh, great minds have, they always have somebody they can collaborate with, mm-hmm. right? If you look, um, uh, folks like uh, Daimler and Benz, uh, the two that worked on a car, um, uh, the first car, it was two people, right? They collaborated on it, built their ideas. Uh, if you look at uh, any aerospace and defense company or other uh, big air companies, manufacturing companies, there's a network of suppliers behind it. Um, as Brian said, they have thousands of suppliers. Uh, they, they provide their skills, their inputs. They make their products better, right? So it's a network of collaboration. Uh, in order to, to, make, to get out of this uh, post-crisis, it will take that network to get better, to collaborate again, to innovate again, to work on it uh, together, right? So it's not a single company uh, that's working in it. And, and there's this, you know, uh, old phrase that I, I heard many, many years ago uh, in the U.S. Uh, when I first became a parent. It says, it takes a village to raise a kid, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It ra- takes a village or a supply chain to raise a company to the next heights. Uh, and that's that collaboration, if it's with your supply chain, if it's with your partners, if it's with your competitors, uh, you know, that is going to be something that is really, really critical. It needs to be facilitated in the right way with the right information to Brian's point in a secure fashion, uh, right? Because not everything should be shared um, or should be shared outside. Uh, so that is going to be one of the, the biggest pieces because we're all in this together. We go through with different experiences, with different backgrounds, but we all have to come out uh, after this in the new world. Uh, better, stronger, and uh, I believe the collaboration is going to be extremely critical. And we see it now in a, in a lot of places. Thank you very much. Let's quickly get comments around the table. I give you each about a minute or so to comment on Torsten's statement, and then we'll go back to Sean and start with the pr- crystal ball prediction. Sean, comments on this collaboration aspect Torsten just brought up. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't think anybody would disagree with, with what Torsten said. I, I, I think my... Um, 
my take on this is that it's more about the internal culture and establishing, um, I don't know if a safe place is the phrase I want to use, but I guess that's what I'm going with, a safe place to, to do that, where internally that collaboration uh, happens amongst your peers first. And then once you get comfortable there, I think it becomes a lot easier to start to collaborate with outside ideas, outside both competitors and partners and, and within the supply chain network itself. And with, uh, But I think it's it's really... If you can get your own people to start pulling in the same direction, that's where you start moving mountains. You don't move them by having one rock star, super smart person doing everything. You don't do it by having um, you know, the, uh, um, a few people in one small division. I think, um, I think it was Muhammad Ali that said, uh, it's not the boulder in your way that stops you from going up the mountain. It's the pebble in your shoe. So I think it's really about building and establishing and fostering the right culture internally to prepare them to be ready to look at what the outside collaboration might look like because that's the leaps and bounds that you'll get. And quite frankly, I'm not convinced that you'd be ready for those uh, material changes until you were aligned internally. Thank you very much. I'm going to uh, quickly go to Brian and then I'm going to need a 60-second prediction from you, Sean. But Brian, comments on what the collaboration comments that Torsten just made. Brian Fields? Sure. Um, I, I think a good example of, of that is on this phone call, Torsten and Sean and, and I, our companies collaborate on, on solutions, um, providing uh, the expertise from various inputs, being um, diverse and allowing inclusive thoughts is, is what make, makes collaboration so, so effective. Um, quick example, um, Sean's team hosted and facilitated a collaboration event for us about about a month and a half, two months ago, where we pulled like 35 people together. We were stuck on something, and we could not get an agreement with all of the various people in our organization. So this collaboration event got everybody together. It facilitated a, a solution that everyone could live with, and it allowed us to move forward. And, and in, a, in a agreeing upon um, some of these things that – that this may not be the best solution for me personally or my organization, mm-hmm. but it's the best overall solution is the kind of training and the kind of thought process that we want as we try to transform and innovate. So you know, collaboration is, is the biggest, biggest uh, tool and we have in our toolkit for moving the cultural change along. Thank you very much. Sean Moore. 60 seconds, that's all you get. Prediction, please. Where are we going with all of this? Let's say either by the end of 2020 or if you dare to go out to 2025, Sean Moore, Cap Gemini. Prediction, 60 seconds, go. I'll take a, uh, a broader, more general view, but I think you heard the tone here. Brian Field said failure is a resource if you use it properly. Uh, Torsten said, uh, Einstein quote says, in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. So maintaining the positivity theme I think that, um, you know, unforeseen market disruptors will always be there in some way, shape, or form. They cannot be predicted, but they can only be reacted to. In the larger picture, I think these disruptions often sow both chaos as well as opportunity. I think that we will look back at this time uh, from an industry and and a corporate perspective in a positive light, looking at it as a catalyst for positive change within the industry. Thank you, Sean. Brian Fields, I got 60 seconds with your name on them. Go. Yeah, I'm going to take a longer-term view also. Um, our, our primary customer on the D side of A&D, our defense customer, is expecting 
us as, as industry partners to lead transformation. Um, industry 4.0, thinking different, being agile, being fast, providing solutions that allow them to be more efficient and spend their limited dollars better is, is our charter. And I think that, that the focus that we're seeing from the Department of Defense um, the, the focus that we're seeing across all of my peers in the, in the A&D industry is going to just cause everything that we've been talking about today to accelerate going forward, and it's going to become the foundation for how we do business. Thank you very much. Torsten Welty, they were so concise, I can give you 90 seconds. It's your lucky day, Torsten. Go ahead. Oh, wow. Go oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. Um, it, yeah, I also will look a little bit short-term and long-term. I think, you know, as a lot of people get into the crisis, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of suffering in this, and the mountain looks really big uh, that we have to climb. Um, I think in, in that, uh, you know, painful process, uh, a lot of people pull them, themselves out and collaborate and find positive things and find even better things. So I, I think by end of this year, a lot of things will smooth back out and we'll hear more and more positive news in regards to manufacturing companies open back up, working full steam uh, or even more, right? Yes, we'll see a lot of companies that probably go through financial downturn or even close. Uh, but I think in, in that moment, there's also a piece of collaboration and agility that these companies will bring to bear uh, to really set themselves up for the longer term uh, and also, you know, see what what technology can do, right? The technology can be an enabler and there will be lots and lots and lots of different uh, challenges ahead from, you know, the next round of toilet paper challenges to the next round of, you know, bed bugs that may or may not be ever in hotels. Um, mm. So things will it will be all out there. We will have to challenge uh, the, the, the new norm, uh, live to the new norm, agile enough to adopt or, or put energy to, to make the better life out of it. We all hated after 9-11 to stand in a TSA line. Uh, yep. Will that be completely different? Will there be a second line? Will we like that? Will technology help us to get through maybe even faster? Uh, you know, those are all things that we have challenges with and we will not like it and somebody will have a great idea or collaborate on it and we will come out better out of it. Uh, But we may also have the good things of, you know, COVID expects uh, us to simulate so many different things that we may see all the failures way before we physically experience them. So that will be also an exciting new world where we can dive into and uh, getting all our technology uh, that may have, uh, you know, lived in the dark side, like quantum mm-hmm. computing and other things that will all of a sudden come out and help even more. Thank you, Torsten. Perfect timing. We got to go. I want to thank so much Richard Howells at SAP for sponsoring this wonderful series. Diane Pickett joined Richard in helping to put together this episode. Diane, appreciate all of your efforts. And a thank you to my engineer extraordinaire, Aaron Keller, at World Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com, the business channel, Nerves of Steel. Aaron, you always are there for me. Uh, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Even if you're staying home, put a seatbelt on or pretend you're driving somewhere. What are you waiting for? Go out and be 
a game changer today, just like Sean Moore at Capgemini, just like Brian Fields at Newport News Shipbuilding, and of course, just like Torsten Welty at SAP. Signing off, be safe, be smart, be well. Bonnie D. Graham, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Industry 4.0 in the Intelligent Enterprise, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.